You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Auburn, at least over the weekend, and Pat Sullivan. Um, this is Josh Black, by the way. Um, I had the good fortune of starting out at Auburn, but unfortunately, uh, my time there was only for two years as I just didn't have my life together and kind of felt admittedly a bit lost in my time there. Uh, I've never blamed Auburn for that, but you know, things happen when you're in your late teens, early twenties, where it can just feel overwhelming. Well, I ended up at Sanford, um, two years after uh, graduating high school and being at Auburn for two years. Uh, I played football in high school at Briarwood, and uh, one of my dad's good college friends, um, Pat Sullivan, gave me a phone call, and I had no idea that he uh, had my cell phone number, but he got it from my dad, and asked me to come meet him in his office after I had enrolled into Sanford. And... um, that day, I was so overwhelmed by just the simple fact that one of my father's heroes and one of you know the greatest players in the history of Auburn wanted to meet with me that I legitimately had no I, I, I could not explain how excited I was that day. He offered me that day a chance to walk onto the football team at Sanford when I was two years removed from playing. Um, I'm a big guy. I was a big guy in high school. My playing weight was probably 305 pounds. Well, I was about 330 at this point, and most of that was beer weight. Uh, I had no business having anybody take a look at me to play football after being away from the game for two years. But um, whether Pat Sullivan was trying to do that as a favor to my dad or it was something that he just had an interest in me, it really didn't matter. It was the fact that He was trying to do something to make sure that I could have a chance to get my life back on track through something that had helped me before. Um, I didn't take him up on that. I have walked on a torn MCL now for the better part of 15 years. I've never had it repaired, but it especially hurt when I had all that weight on me. Um, But what he did for me that day did motivate me. Uh, In my time at Sanford, Um, I would check in with him and see him occasionally and, you know, kind of let him know that I was doing well and on pace to graduate. And um, also during that time, I told him, I said, by the time I graduate here, you'll never want me on a football field again because my plan is to look very different. Uh, When he met me the first time, if you remember, I said I was about 330. When I graduated from Sanford, I was 220 pounds. Um, Pat Sullivan had a lot to do with me getting myself back into shape and getting into gear just by having somebody that believed in me for no other reason than it was just something that was the right thing for him to do. Um, He was a good friend of my father's. Uh, The both of them were in school together at the same time. And uh, my dad was from a small town in Alabama, Dadeville, while Pat was from Birmingham. But you couldn't be in Auburn and not know, uh, not gravitate towards Pat, but um, 
dad and Pat had a special bond through that time that translated later in life to when Pat was at Stanford and, of course, when he was on Coach Dye's staff at Auburn. Um, the thing about Pat is that if you talk to anybody that's of the generation older than us, they'll tell you that you know, he is – he is literally who made Auburn. Um, we give Coach Coach Jordan and uh, Jeff Beard so much credit for what they did, but you know, no one really. Everyone talks about the '70s and Coach Bryant and having nine wins in a row over us, but people fail to remember that from '59 through '68, Alabama won nine out of ten games versus Auburn. 1968 at the end of that run was Pat Sullivan's freshman year at Auburn when he was on the freshman team and led the freshman team to a win over the freshman team in Tuscaloosa. Pat Sullivan saved Coach Jordan's career. Uh, what Buddy Davidson did in the campaign for Pat Sullivan for the Heisman Trophy is one of the greatest campaigns in the history of that award in taking a regional school in Auburn and fighting hard to make them on a national platform and truly, Pat Sullivan winning the Heisman Trophy is the reason why Auburn was able to become a national brand. Um, Pat is somebody, in my opinion, that you can't find a better representative of everything that we want to be, uh, what we aspire for, and, and just how we should carry ourselves and the type of character that we should have. Um, thanks to Bo Jackson and Cam Newton. Pat's never going to be remembered as the greatest athlete to ever step on a football field in Jordan Air Stadium. But as I said, he's probably the most important person to ever play football at Auburn for what he did in saving Coach Jordan and giving us hope. And in my opinion, there's nothing better that an Auburn person can uh, give to this fan base and this family than hope. Um, I love Pat Sullivan. Uh, he represented everything that was right about Auburn. He loved his family. Uh, his, he loved his wife, Jean. Uh, he loved the Lord God. Um, Pat has battled mouth cancer for the better part of seven, 16, 17 years. And uh, about 39 days ago, I myself decided that you know the cause of mouth cancer and different tobacco was something that I needed to give up, and I haven't touched it since. Um, frankly, I had Pat on my mind when I made that decision. Um, I loved that man. There's never going to be a finer representative of Auburn University and the character that we should all want and aspire for. Um, Pat Sullivan was truly the best of us. God bless Pat Sullivan. Amen. At the theme, Jack. Run like a wild I watch the struggle and I watch you wrestle with them angels. From Auburn University, Bo Jackson. The correct Jordan Harris Stadium time is 8.43 Central Standard Time. Your digital, digital audio device is tuned into the Orange and True podcast, harbored by collegeofmagnolia.com. Greetings and salutations, Orange and Truthers. I'm Senator Crow. A beleaguered and weary and sick son of crow two on Twitter at son of crow on Venmo over Skype because I am contagious. As Ryan, the rumor monger Ryan Starrett. Yeah, I think uh, Crow's house is a 
hazmat area right now. You should stay away from that place. At uh, Ryan S. Starrett, the S is for Skype. And to the other side of me, also over Skype, giving you full Fort Payne ASMR, is a man of taste, an Iron Bowl champion, a man who has 100 years of down home running through his blood, the AU chief. To be loose, Brett. Chief. Chief. Hello. Oh, no. Hello. There we go. Word am eagle. There he is. Guys, sorry that I couldn't make a, not only the Iron Bowl, because I was in Texas contracting the stomach flu, but I can't make this uh, this podcast. <laughs> well, uh, that's all right, bro. I'd rather not be sick. We did miss you on Saturday, though. It could be yeah. worse. I could have been sick on the drive home yesterday. Oh, yeah. My I nephew didn't want to get sick in Monroe. My nephew was sick on the drive home yesterday, apparently. My sister told me, hey, both sick. And she's like having to catch throw up in a bag <laughs> from a four year old the whole way home. Oh, my gosh. Are, are we are sure superheroes. that are we sure it wasn't the smell of Monroe? That made him sick. Oh, man, Monroe is <laughs> awful. I got sick this morning at I was getting ready for work and got in the shower to go, and all of a sudden was just like, nope, nope, this ain't it. And then just basically haven't left the bed or the bathroom for, since 5:45 this morning. Speaking of Monroe, were you, did did you really just go out that way to go to the Duck Dynasty wedding this this past weekend? Is that what happened? Uh, Til. About Duck Dynasty wedding, I didn't know that existed just now. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, the uh, daughter that the last time I watched Duck Dynasty was like 14 years old got married this weekend. I know that that, that he one of the guys is a big booster for ULM. Uh, well, um, the the dad, the patriarch of the family, uh, played. Uh, you played for La Tech, right? He backed up um, uh, Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, Phil. Phil, yeah. Phil. Uh, <laughs> if you told me that that guy and Terry Bradshaw were the same age, I wouldn't believe you. That guy's old shot. Which one that do you think is old? Shot out looking. Yeah. <laughs> the Duck Commander looks like he's just done a lot of living, a lot more living than Terry Bradshaw has. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw's like my Uncle Kenny. It's just different kind of living. That's all. Right. Well, guys, we're Iron Bowl champs. I think that's probably what we should talk about. Unless, Ryan, you, you yeah, have actually shown Jumping us. ahead there, Drew. Sorry. I think we, we, before we get going, let's let's talk about uh, Pat Sullivan a little more. I mean, uh, Josh, thanks. He kind of hit on a, a personal note at the top of the show for us. Um, but there's a lot that he did just on the football field that we can talk about, not not knowing him personally. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if you adjust for era, he probably is still the all-time leading passer in Auburn history. Oh, without a doubt. So I'm just going to run through a few numbers real quick. Uh, he's fourth in career passing yards for Auburn, and he's the only one to do that. Only one of the top five would be to do that in three years instead of four because his freshman numbers didn't count. Uh, first in career passing touchdowns. He's tied for third, ninth, and tenth in single-season touchdowns. So those three years he played were all top ten in total touchdowns for Auburn. Yeah, that's pretty he's incredible. 71 career touchdowns. Throw. 71 career touchdowns were an NC or tied an NCAA record at the time. This so, is also in an era when stats for postseason games didn't count. And right. I believe this was in the era of 10 regular season games. Right. 
So his right. per game numbers are just bonkers. That is wild. Wild. And this is stuff. still early in the era of passing. I mean, you right. didn't have, you know, Joe Schmo quarterback to home for 450 a game. Well, they were still running triple option uh, over there in uh, uh, Tuscaloosa at that point, right? Well, we went back to the triple option. Right, right. <laughs> my understanding from my dad was that the freshman team was running a wide open attack uh, when Sullivan and Beasley were on it in 68, while the varsity squad was still running an option attack. And <laughs> everyone knew going into the past sophomore year that things were about to shift. It's interesting to think about that, like just how much of an aberration that is in Auburn history to have a quarterback that was a dynamic thrower that changed the offense to a wide open passing attack because it well, went right back to a running attack right after you left. It wasn't like we, we had this run of quarterbacks in the seven. Right. Well, it almost, you know, it's almost like he was a, a Michael Vick of that era where he like came in and did something that nobody else was doing at the time. And nobody else was doing that well. Um, and this is not like he did it pre-integration. 71, right. the last was, would have been the year the last teams to integrate would have integrated with 71 and 72. Right. Um, but, but not that he ran like Michael Vick. That's not what I was, what, what I was trying to say. But, you know, when, when Michael Vick came in and, and just, could run and throw well enough. It, it was you'd never seen anything like that before. And and for a guy to sling the ball, I can't imagine what it would have been like to see this Auburn team. Like they're just throwing the ball all over the place. Like it's 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 crazy to think about um, how how different that would have looked to somebody at the time. Yeah, it's similar. Like in basketball, we all I always laugh about like when I was a kid, the guys that I thought were really good three point shooters, and you look at their totals now for a season and they would be like what Steph Curry might do before the all-star break <laughs> on a bad year. Yeah. And how there just aren't aberrations, aberrations like that in basketball where it's just a guy who all of a sudden is just tearing the cover off the ball, shooting threes. And, and then it goes back to normal. This was a weird thing in football for this school. That is a traditionally running school and will always be that way. Most likely to have this air raid type guy a full 40 years before the air raid was even something that anybody talked about. Well, and we, this era, you have to measure anything Auburn does against coach Bryant. Uh, the largest margin of victory, uh, 1969, 49, 26 largest margin of victory in the series since 1969 is still that game. Uh, you know, other than the 57, 40 to nothing win, that might be the largest margin of victory we've ever had over Alabama. It is the most points still by a point yeah. that we've ever <laughs> scored on Alabama. Yeah. Um, then, then, guys, he followed it up the next year, and this is something that, you know, it needs to resonate. Alabama had the best running back in the country in 1970. His name is Johnny Musso. Alabama at Legion Field that year got up 17 to nothing on Auburn, and Johnny Musso ran for 200 yards that day. And Pat Sullivan led what Auburn people at that time considered to be the greatest comeback in the history of Auburn by beating uh, Alabama that day, 33 to 28. He finished the day 22 to 38, passing for 317 yards, and dug us out of a 17 nothing hole. And when you've got Johnny Musso in the backfield, 
you're milking clock. So when you're up 17 to nothing, you ought to be able to hold that lead if you're Alabama. Uh, that's We've only seen something like that one other time in our program's history, and we're nine years removed from it, and we're still awestruck by it. There's a reason why our parents' generation holds him in the regard that he was in, and it's it's something that, to no fault of his own, is neglected because Bo was such a freak and Cam was such a freak, but what this guy was doing in this era was special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. He wasn't necessarily doing anything athletically that was just you know, above and beyond anybody else in the country. It was just he was just that good at playing football, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean the the guy was just he he had a lot of qualities like you would see out of what I saw as a kid out of Bo's father Pat. He's just a winner. Yeah. If, you, if you've got a guy that needs to go 80, 90 yards down the field to go win a football ball game five minutes or left left in the game that's yeah you want back there that's patrick that's pat sullivan so in his trophy case he's got the 1971 heisman a all-american in 70 and 71 71 walter camp award 1970 sec player of the year alabama sports hall of fame and the national football foundation hall of fame so he's, he's got everything right i mean yeah. he, he was no doubt the best player when he was in college. And he had a pretty decent coaching career. Yeah. So he would have had, uh, had a better one had things gone just slightly differently, both in Auburn history and his own history. Um, I agree. You know, it, if, uh, you know, if I may, um, Pat Sullivan and Larry Blatney got the offense right in 86, coach died and getting away from the wishbone after Bo left. And that's the reason why we produced three straight SEC championships in the late 80s. Uh, Pat Sullivan developed Stan White. He left Auburn uh, prior to 1993. He was there through 91. Uh, stayed in touch with us even when he was a head coach at TCU. Actually attended the 93 Auburn LSU game in Baton Rouge where Stan surpassed his passing record, one of his passing records. Um, one of the things that I always thought that was cool about Pat was that he recruited Ladanian Tomlinson to TCU and Absolutely. essentially set and essentially set Alabama up for Dennis Franchoni yep. by Fran having success there. Yeah, that's always been been my uh, the thing that I really do believe is that he he is the reason that Coach Fran had success. He's the reason that Coach Fran ended up at Alabama and then at A and M where he just fell flat on his face. Uh, <laughs> Because yeah. Pat had set things up at TCU. Pat, Pat's time at TCU wasn't great, but the it won the, the Southwest Conference one year. Right. And this was coming off of probation at TCU, right? Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. So he so, was work cut out for him. Exactly. And and he he left TCU and and Fran took over with the, the best player in the country, and uh, and then on the back of that, Fran ends up <laughs> with the Alabama job. Though he didn't didn't beat Auburn, so. And then Fran lost seventy two to zero to Oklahoma oh. when he was the head coach at A. Seventy seven. Seventy seven to zero. Yep. Uh, what's interesting about Sullivan though is that uh, uh, oh gosh, who is the LSU athletics director? Um, his son is the string music announcer for Jefferson Pilot. Um, <laughs> You know who I'm talking about, the basketball announcer. Uh, D- Dave Neal? <laughs> Is he currently the LSU athletic director? 
Uh, no, 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 no. This was in the early 90s. He got hired by LSU right. when we Jerry DiNardo ended up yeah. taking the job. Yeah, he got hired there, and LSU was so cheap at the time that they didn't pay the buyout. Uh, his buyout was something like $250,000 or something like that. And, <laughs> and they were too cheap to pay it. And so uh, it's a field so storming fine. It, yeah, and the AD at LSU at the time was Jodine Jr. Like, Jodine Jr. is the yeah, same AD right. that almost didn't want to pay Nick Saban enough money to bring him from Michigan State. The guy was super cheap. But the other alternative history here is that there was a large contingency of people uh, at Auburn when Coach Dye had to step down. There was a lot of people that pushed for Pat to have that job. Had things gone slightly differently, uh, and by slightly, I mean, had Terry Bowden not won 20 games in two years, <laughs> that contingency probably wins out. Bowden's probably removed after 94, and Sullivan coming off of winning the Southwest Conference at TCU is probably put as head coach at Auburn in 1995. Yeah, so that- a lot of interesting histories of, you know, Sullivan's at LSU or Sullivan's at Auburn. I mean, the SEC looks a lot different. If you do those kind of things. Yeah, that's true. Terry Bowden basically was like, what if Matt Luke won every single game? Last yeah. Year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, or, he, uh, or he's like, Bunker would say is, what if Gus just kept beating Alabama? Right. You right. <laughs> can't fire him. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, the timing was just never right with Pat. And, and it's a shame because I, that would have been one of those, you know, it's like a Disney movie, basically, where he gets to come home and, and coaches his team, um, and it would have it would have been great, and I, I and I really wish it could have happened, but I, the timing just wasn't right. If he had still been here, because uh, he left the year before right. uh, Die retired, I, I right. right to go to D- yeah, So if he'd still been here, I think maybe if he hadn't taken that job, then he's he's the coach as well. Part of me is is glad in some way that he never was the coach at Auburn because you look at like a Scott Frost or sometimes you hire your you hire your hero and then eventually you have to fire him. Right, right. And that's that, a bad move. That's what's always uh, that's always what's scary about bringing in guys that played for you that you especially ones that you really love like like Travis Williams. What what happens one day when Travis just you know, not necessarily as fired, but leaves because of a coaching change. It's going to be sad. Or like when Tracy Rocker made a career, made a good oh. decision and left Auburn. Like it was. Man, that was rough. It hurt more because he was from here. And Damian Craig. Oh. That hurt a little less. Right. <laughs> well, it hurt. It hurt uh, those of us who love Damian as a player uh, to see what has become of him. Can we talk I, about basketball? One last, thing, on? one last thing, right. one last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you guys go because I, I, I know that uh, y'all are much more suited to talking basketball than I am. Uh, I will always be grateful to Jay Jacobs and to Gene Chizik and to Gus Malzahn for scheduling two games with Sanford while Sullivan was their head coach Absolutely. and yeah. giving, us a chance, giving us a chance to give him uh, a really beautiful victory lap in 2011. Uh, I'll always remember – our football team lining up on the 40-yard line and all of our players raising their helmets and salute to him and having the 71 team behind him, including Terry Beasley. And then to have him back in 2014 and there just be 
Sanford and Auburn's got a lot of intertwinements over the years. And for that day, for, you know, to see Sullivan in Sanford attire on that field at Auburn, get the respect he deserved from the Auburn people, surrounded by people that loved him, uh, including Rhett Lashley, our offense coordinator at the time, who was uh, Sullivan's OC, his first OC job. Cody Burns was an OC for Pat Sullivan at Sanford. Um, there's a lot of connections there with that. And I am for as much as I hate that we never got a chance to have him as our head coach. I am so thankful that we had the opportunity to do the right thing and give him a chance to be honored in front of that stadium. And for his last game as the head coach to be coached there, um, there's no way that it, there could have been a better send off for him. God bless him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I don't think you want to take it better. I agree. Y'all want to take a break? Yeah. Pause real quick for station identification. Those listening on the live stream, we don't actually take a break. (laughs) Behind the scenes. (laughs) All right. Now we're back. What a great commercial you just heard about probably a better podcast than this one. And uh, could have been about. Thanks, Josh, real quick for coming on for us. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, guys. War Eagle. War Eagle. Beat Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's we... talk about basketball. Oh, yeah. We well, the... they probably – they might have just heard a commercial for um, for uh, male enhancement products. Well, speaking of – They did. It plays right into the Roman Legends <laughs> Classic, which, uh, you know, trophy season. Auburn has won, won another trophy, which makes it – a trophy at that tournament, a trophy in uh, the regional championships, a trophy in the SEC championship t- tournament last year, a trophy in the SEC regular season. The year before that, Auburn has put together pri- quite a nice haul in the last couple of seasons under Bruce Pearl. Running out of is room. It, is that good? Yeah, it's better than anybody else in the SEC in terms of number of trophies. Are we oh, gonna like uh, are we gonna have a banner ceremony when uh, before the uh, Furman game? I hope so. I if love we that didn't raise a Final Four banner, but we do raise the Romans Legends Invitational. I hope banner. so. Currently, hey. that was the <laughs> Roman Legends Classic presented by Old Trapper. We're joking, but it was not a bad tournament. Like there were there were no teams good, good it was fine. Yeah, I mean, were we the favorites? We were the only ranked team. What year was this was this tournament, this classic founded, Ryan? Do you know? I do. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now. 2007. Wow, you nailed it. Did I really? Yeah, 2007. <laughs> Good job, Ryan. Wow. Yeah. The Ryan team that's won it the most is 12 years great. old, ladies and gentlemen. You got it. Yeah. Seventh grade. <laughs> Uh, it has been won by such este- esteemed basketball institutions as St. John's, oh. Marquette, Villanova, Indiana, Syracuse, and the Auburn Tigers. Wow, that is that's a nice list of teams. Is Auburn so, a Big East school now? Exactly, <laughs> the old Big East school, right? No, the, the, the new East. Big East, not oh. the American. Okay, let me tell you. Nova and St. John's. And the guy that's taken a lot of uh, a Gus Malzahn level of criticism in his young Auburn career, Austin Wiley, tournament MVP. Look at that. Look yeah, at that. Kind of tore things up the last two games. 
He's averaging a double double this season. I'm pretty sure. Well, he's not. He's, really a, he's at eleven and nine right now. Okay, he's averaging. He's averaging really one rebound short of a double double, and he had a couple of games in this tournament where it was like, I didn't look at the advanced box, but it felt like he was getting fifty percent of the available rebounds, or something wild like that. It was. It was a lot. It was a large number. Like he he was a he's turned himself into a rebounding machine, which is kind of amazing. He was not a great rebounder his first year at Auburn. Um, Horace was a better rebounder than him. Um, Mustafa Heron was a better rebounder than, than either of them. Um, but now, my gosh, he is a force on the boards. And again, gets to the free throw line always. Yeah, he's not making all of them, but he gets there a lot. He gets there a lot. And if he just even made 70% of them, that's a ton of points every game. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think he's making 70%. No, but I think he did shoot somewhere around 70 for this tournament. Let's see. Hence his for trophy. This season. Chief, what did you think about uh, Javon McCormick's performance over the last couple of weeks? Um, I thought he did real well. He's he's settling into his distribution role pretty good. Um, he's uh he's never going to be the shooter that Jared was. Um, and you know, I I'm not sure that he should ever be the even the second choice to shoot threes on the team. But mm-hmm. he's gonna get he's gonna get his points, and if he can drop in, you know, seven to ten points to go along with his assists and his rebounds. I think we'll be fine. Yeah, if he can almost – my my goal for Javon – last year my goal for Javon was to have more points than capital letters in his first name. Um, yeah, he's definitely got that. He's got that because he has three, I guess, in his two names. His J and a V and an and a M. Um, but I think my goal now is for him to have a one-to-one assist-to-point ratio. If he has almost as many assists as he has points per game – Auburn's in unbelievable shape because he's what he's doing. And you're going to see Auburn do this all season. I think Auburn's going to have a higher assist total than it did last year. We don't have the guys who can go ISO and he's more of a pick and roll point guard, maybe than even Jared was. Um, whereas Jared was a really good pick and roll point guard. If guys went under him because he would just step back and, and drain a three Javon is a little bit faster, which is hard, hard to believe. And so if guys go over the screen, he's able to get two points out of a layup. But if guys go, um, if guys switch, then all of a sudden he's lobbing one to Austin Wiley for a dunk. And you're, and Bruce started doing that a ton in the last couple of games, like really more than he ever has since I've been watching him. Yeah. Um, a ton of high pick and roll. It's like he listens to this podcast. <laughs> of high pick and roll action with Amperny and with Austin on with Javon. And, and it's because the way guys were switching and guys weren't running stuff, um, stymieing up the lane. When we play teams that either have another big guy or that run zone, obviously, we're not going to be able to run pick and roll action as much. But against man to man, if you've got Austin Wiley, there's a decent chance they don't have a man that size. So. One of the pick and roll and getting guys to switch is a great way to uh, to dominate, to let him dominate them without having to throw um, the ball into the low post. Yeah. 
I th- I think that's the the, the key. I, I don't I don't think we should ever be trying to force our offense into uh, working the ball to a posted up Austin Wiley. I, I just I, I that doesn't work for a lot of people. I mean, unless you've got you know Shaq or Anthony Davis on your team, or you know, it works like, for no one. As a matter of yeah. fact, I sent, right. I sent we, that article. We saw both sides of that coin in this tournament where. It seemed like there was a couple times they were trying to force Wiley down low, and it just it wasn't happening for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, whether he just wasn't I, making shots, or he was turning the ball over, or something. And then you would we, we would kind of pull back from it. So other guys would start taking shots, and then Wiley was getting every rebound, every putback, because nobody could go up with him. People could guard him, but nobody was going up and getting the ball like he was. Right. Yeah, I know personally that that's where all of my frustration comes is when we we try to do that. I I'm all for doing that high pick and roll stuff and and just letting Austin just soak up the rebounds down there. Get score yourself 15 points off putbacks, man. I, I, all yeah. day. He was going to be a putback player. Yeah, he would be. He might be the greatest finish at the school if we had a men's <laughs> team. You know. What's funny about about Austin? I sent, a, I sent an article to the Slack channel. I might read it from the Ringer about another Vox Media joint about how um, nobody is posting up, <laughs> and like basically, there's this is the fewest post ups um, in the history of the NBA. Wow! And, and 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 this year has the fewest so far, and last year was the fewest up until that year, and the year before that was the fewest up until that year, and so as the three point uh, revolution happens, you're seeing less and less post-ups. And for the same reason, it's because some nerds did the math and realized that they're extremely inefficient uh, offensive possessions because everyone else is just standing around. Right. One guy has the ball and he's not even facing the basket. And unless he is really good at making a move, it's usually your worst free throw shooter. You're giving him the ball with an opportunity to get fouled or to take a fading away shot, or to hopefully get a dunk. And you're much better off moving the ball more often faster and trying to get an open three. And so you're seeing nobody, nobody do it. And so they're talking about, like, should the NBA change its rules so that guys can go back to doing it? Um, What's the rule change, basketball? though? Is it making the three further? No, the rule change in the NBA, the rule change in the NBA would be maybe relaxing a little bit the illegal defense. Um, because right now guys can, guys can't camp out in the lane on defense, which means they're all spread out even more, which allows for better pick and roll because they can't camp out in the lane on defense. Then you, they have to switch everything on the pick and roll, which then leads you, like, it doesn't make any sense to do anything but pick and roll. You watch an NBA game, you will see nothing but pick and roll. Every team now looks the same, which is one of the critique people have of the NBA is almost every single team runs the same offense um, because it's just been run through computers to see what's the most clinically efficient way to score in the basket with the current rules. Whereas college basketball, one of the benefits of college basketball is it's still a very unique, every team kind of has its identity and does its own thing. And that's pretty cool. Um, and Auburn has kind of found its identity. I think, I think Auburn has turned itself into a, we are going to score in transition, and if we can't do that, then we are going to bully ball you into giving us two points or a three. Yep. Yeah. I I, I love how we're playing. Um, I do too. It, it's 
I, we we hit on this last time we talked uh, about how this year we're not going to get beat because we go cold. It's just it's not going to happen. We, we can get beat because the other team gets super hot um, and just hits threes that we're defending well. Um, but I, I don't think that we're ever going to get beat because just because we go cold from beyond the arc. Um, but for one, our points are spread around like crazy on this team. Um, I think we had like five guys in double figures in one of the games. And uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty awesome to see. And we've got a lot of assisted buckets again, which is where Bruce teams are at their best anyway. So um, I'm having a lot of fun watching this team. A lot of fun. Something else that that's kind of stuck out to me is this team is a lot better rebounding as a team than it was last year. Um, I mean, if you look at it, all five starters are averaging like over four rebounds a game. You know, even Javon's at 4.6. That's that's a lot for a point guard, isn't it? It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, so Javon right now is averaging 8.6, 4.6, and then 6.7 assists a game. I mean, and you think about Javon McCormick is like, Five nine, five ten. Like, you think he's lifted at six foot? But. He he and I were. I'm six foot, and I feel like he and I may have been eye to eye when we when I met him. <laughs> Maybe. And the idea that I there's no way I could get four rebounds in the game, in a college basketball game right now, not a chance. At my height, what he's he's just an effort player. He's a 100 effort player. Yeah, and and I mean I love guys that give effort. That that's what lead led me to like guys like Malik. What led me to get, like really like guys like Horace. I just I like guys that give effort. Um, I especially like them when they're efficient though. So, <laughs> which <laughs> Javon yeah. definitely is. Well, that's that's something this team's kind of figured out well is the right guys are getting the right amount of touches. Uh, Samir's been mm-hmm. the most efficient guy on the team scoring. And he's taking the most shots. Uh, Javon hasn't been the best shooter this year, but he's not taking a ton of shots. I mean, his his uh, usage percent is way down compared to the rest of the starters. Um, so it's it's not like you have one guy that's you know oh, he's just a volume shooter, which I, I hate that term because that means you're not that good. You just shoot a lot. Right. You might average 15 <laughs> a game, but it's on 20 shots. Um, what was, what was the old Miss dude's name? The ultimate volume shooter that became a, a gif. Marshall Henderson? Yes. Oh, Marshall yes. Henderson. Yeah. Oh, my so God. he's a volume shooter. Right. He might take 60 shots a game. Oh, good God. We, Auburn doesn't have that because Auburn doesn't really need it. There's too no. many guys that can score. And, like, I mean, we are. But everybody can Isaac do other Okoro, things, too. Right. Oh, we're first Isaac Emergency. Yeah, we're seeing the emergence of Isaac Okoro as he like literally flies up draft boards. Today I saw him at nine on some site. Like you're seeing a kid fully come into his own. Um, and there's maybe a chance the reason why he wasn't a higher ranked. He was the 40th overall prospect in America last year. But there's a reason why the reason one reason why he might not have been a top ten prospect is because maybe. His teammate Sharif Cooper was sharing too many headlines. Like, yeah, he played on the same Possibly. team with a bunch of dudes, both on the AAU circuit and in the uh, in the high school ranks. 
he might not have been noticed as much. But there are there are some pretty smart NBA draft heads that I like that really think he could be the steal of the draft if he goes out of the top ten. But almost everybody thinks he's going <laughs> in the first round, which is not even most of us didn't think he was a first round pick or even oh, going right, draft at all. Right. But now it's looking like he's a he is a surefire locked and loaded first round draft pick. Sorry, I just yelled at my dog live on the pod. That's okay. I mean, to me, to me, this team has some incredible potential. And I could all fall crumbling down if all of a sudden we get cold and and Austin can't get stay out of foul trouble in games, or, or or God forbid, someone gets hurt. But at the moment, it looks like this team is going to be really strong and challenge maybe for another SEC regular season title, which is I had yeah. no idea and no expectation of that going into the year. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about that. Uh, you know, if you just look at it dispassionately on paper, it still looks crazy. But we do have uh, senior leadership on this team. We've got four guys that have been around this program for four years and five years in some cases. Um, and three in some years, but that's still a long time. They've, they've been around the program for a while. They uh, they played roles last year um, that were pretty key roles. So we, while we did lose our two best players from last year, we got a lot of guys back, and and that's I think that's really showing too. Um, the the this team has a level of maturity you wouldn't expect for a team that has uh, no juniors on it. Yep, and, and a team that has and it's the senior. <laughs> Excuse me. Seniors in the in the <laughs> right sure. position. Yes. All yes. oh, right. You have a senior in in the post. You have a senior in the point guard position, and you've got a senior in the shooting guard position. If you have important positions held by guys who have been to the Final Four, you've got a senior that started an entire year of games coming off the bench. Uh, yeah, an entire year where we won the conference, by the way. Right. Um, so. Well, and that's that's an interesting dynamic too with with Mac and Wiley where Wiley is the starter, but they're playing pretty equal minutes. Right. Actually, Macklemore is playing two more minutes per game. I was wondering if, if he maybe is playing more. Yeah. It, it's a he's really, get, he's getting 20.7 to Wiley's 18.1. A really and that's good better for both punch. of them. Yes. It's a, it's a great one, two punch for those guys. Yeah. Um, they're, they're totally different players. Mm-hmm. And, um, and some of, some of Mac's minutes are coming at the four. Um, so yeah. they're probably more like 50, 50. Um, yeah, but what that does is it it lets Wiley play his game where he's not having to worry about fouls, he's not having to worry about you know staying at you know 100% for 30 minutes. He can just go out and bully his way around for 20 minutes and not have not be worried that the team's going to be missing him when he's out on the court. What well, what I find interesting too is that um, Isaac Okoro's playing in uh, Chuma Okiki's role but he's actually filling more of Samir's role from last year I feel like uh, a guy that's comes in plays really good defense and, and just can score you points but it the pressure is not on him to score those points yep. and and it's 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 nice that we've had that and then Samir has really stepped into Jared's role uh yeah, Samir's a walking bucket this year. And Samir's yep. doing everything right now. He's exactly he's really taking Jared and Bryce's role scoring yeah. wise. Yeah. Uh, 
It's pretty he's, wild. He's averaging almost 20 points. Uh, he's shooting threes. He's, he's going to the bucket as well. Um, we haven't played the toughest competition, but no one's really been able to guard him yet. Right. Um, right. You know, and I think <coughs> once we get into conference play, we're going to see some guys that can match up a little better with Samir, probably. Definitely. Definitely. But um, I don't know. We're, we're going to have a lot of momentum going into conference play, and it a lot of guys have, will be much more experienced than they were. Uh, I think we got to get stretched some more minutes. Um, Definitely. we got to get – well, I you know I say we've got to we've got, we're getting these guys minutes. Um, I'd like to see a little more out of uh, Jamal Johnson. Um, yeah, and he's been the, the third guard pretty much so far. Uh, with yeah, with Samir being able to play point when Javon's not on the court, uh, just because Turbo's not really ready yet. Right. Um, and so Jamal's getting 10, 15 minutes a game, basically well, it, the combined yeah. minutes that Javon and Samir aren't playing. I think I think really. Uh, the last couple of games, Flanagan has really cemented himself as that first guy off the bench that's right. not not named Anthony McElmore. Yeah, and he's he's uh, taking up most of Isaac's and Nangel's minutes when they're off yeah, the court. Yeah, and he uh, he's he's been doing really well. I've been really impressed really impressed with him. Good gracious! There you you go. know, I've been I've been really impressed with um with Flanagan. Like really, like he's yeah. been. He's been this kind of uh, kind of really nice piece to come off the bench, and really, I mean, he hasn't been a huge drop off, and he's played both some years spot, and he's also come in for Okoro, and he does a lot. He's a big body for a guard. Um, he's gonna be, he's not gonna be a guy who's probably gonna leave early for the draft. So we got him for four years, which is really nice. Yeah, we had talked yeah. in the off season about you know who's gonna be, you know, one of those gritty guys that you know, is. He's bigger. He's going to throw his weight around. He's going to make the effort plays. Uh, we didn't really know who that was going to be this year and you know, going forward. And I, I think we're probably going to see that be playing. Yeah. That, um, that, that's the way he's playing so far, at least. Yeah. And I, I just, he, he's, he hasn't made many mistakes that I've seen. He's just, yeah. he's a, he's a good all around player, a, a good steady hand. He's not hand. forcing things either. He's not trying to take shots that aren't open. He's not, uh, he's not trying to do too much in the minutes that he's getting. Yeah. Exactly. He's he's a steady hand to come in uh, for those guys that he's coming in for, and um, I mean that's that's as important as as a a, a starter that's going to get you you know 15 points a game. Uh, well, that's what we talked about is, is having the guys that are efficient get the most touches. Right. You, you don't want guys that aren't that efficient and not that good of scorers taking away touches from your better scorers. No, and guys like guys like him, guys like uh, Jamal Johnson, guys like, uh, um, <clears throat> sorry, Stretch, Devin, Cam- Devin Cambridge, Devin Cambridge, and Flanagan. Those guys are going to have to win us a game at some yeah. point this year. Yeah, oh, like, there's going to be a time where Okoro or Wiley or Macklemore, somebody gets in foul trouble, and we've got to rely on the bench. There's going to be a time yeah, where just, some years. It's always going to happen. Yeah, you said somebody's hurt, somebody's in foul trouble, somebody's got a stomach flu. You know, yeah, it, it happens, especially once you get into conference play when you're you're playing two games every week, just about. Um, yep. All right, do you guys want to play a little game? Yeah, uh, let's do it. Sure. All right. So it's 
real simple. I'm just going to give you a stat, and I'm going to have you pick who the, the season leader is on the team for that stat. Easy enough? Okay. Sure. Yeah, let's right. go. So we'll, we'll start easy. We'll go points per game. Who's the points per game leader on this team? Samir. Crow? Uh, points per game leader? Yeah, I'm going to say Samir. Okay, yeah, did Samir. It's a point for both of you. Good job. <laughs> Who is the PER leader on the team? Austin Wiley. Oh, it might be Austin after the other night. It was Samir going into the that game, I think. Final answers? Yes. Yeah. It's Samir. He's he's got wow. a 0.1 lead on Wiley right now. Uh, well, it is 28.7 <laughs> to 28.6. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to hit this earlier. We look like geniuses uh, for picking the two most obvious players to lead the team in PER this year. <laughs> so, it's true. Uh, all right, points per shot. So this is just um, oh, it, it, this includes points earned off of free throws, but not it doesn't count those as shots. So is this? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It adds your numerator, but not your denominator. Is this points the, per shot, not yeah. points total? Points, okay. So it's Devin points Cambridge. per field goal attempt, really. Yeah, that yeah, that's, seems like you're asking for the most efficient shooter. Right. So, um, I'm going to go with Alan Flanagan. Yeah, well, Devin Cambridge. It's probably going to be Samir, though. To see this yeah, game. probably. <laughs> if I told you what their point per shot number was, would that help? Yes. Sure. It's 2.08. So somebody's okay, getting so more oh. than two points per shot. So it's not going to be Wiley. No. Uh, That's why well, I still think Devin Cambridge. I don't know. He's getting to the ga- to the line a lot, and he hit a lot of free throws the other night. That's true. Uh, I'm not Samir? changing my answer. Is it Samir? <laughs> What's your answer, Chief? I, I said Samir. All right, Crow, what you got? I'm sticking with Devin Cambridge. It's Austin Wiley. Oh, I was <laughs> close. It. Dang it. He, he is at 2.08 right now, meaning in taking no threes. He's taking zero threes. Right. So he's getting enough never free will. throws that, to offset any of his missed two-point shots. That's incredible. Yeah. I think his free throw rate is still one-to-one, which is pretty nuts. Yeah, so he's at he takes 64%. a free throw for every field goal percentage. <laughs> yeah, he's actually taking 1.08 free throws per field goal attempt right now. Yeah, so he's literally taking more free throws than field goals. Yeah, wild. So, it, so just for reference, second place on that on points per shot is Samir at 1.67. Okay, so he's got a third of a point are, lead on anybody else in the team. These two guys are really solidifying themselves as leaders of this team. Yeah, absolutely. That that's what you want though. You want a you want a, you want a guard. Well. well, you want a guard and a post player to be your, your two seniors, your front court and back court, and we've got it. So that's good. All right, next one, free throw percent leader. Oh, who's doing the best at the stripe right now? Because not many people are. Dangel. Wait for both of you. Yeah, Dangel. It is Jamal Johnson. Oh my God! Oh, he's. Uh, I limited it to anybody that had at least ten attempts. Okay. He's ten for twelve, eighty-three percent. That's pretty good. And uh, Dangel is sitting at seventy-one percent right now. So he's okay. he's fine, not, not great, but 
off his pace a little bit. Yeah. Samir sitting at 78. Well, I like that. I like that, too. Um, Javon. Get to the line a lot. So Javon's at 33. So uh, It's not great. <laughs> not great, Javon. Uh, I mean, if he were hitting more free throws, he'd be at 10 points a game. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Let's do one more. You guys are still tied at one-to-one, so maybe you can uh, split it up here. Okay. Floor percent. And so I'll I'll, def- I'll define that for you. Floor percent is the percent of possessions that a player is responsible for ending. So either he shoots it, he turns it over, um, so whatever. So the percent of possessions that he is responsible for ending that end in him in points. Does that make sense? Yes. So awesome, Wiley. Basically, the percent of times that he's touched the ball and it ends in points. Is that, is that what we're saying? Or a turnover. Okay. The possession ends with him having the ball. Yeah. If he is the last person to touch the ball, what percent of those possessions end in points? I'm going with Austin only because he does have a lot of turnovers. Well, turnovers aren't good. It's going to, it's going to hurt your number. Oh, okay. Sorry. I know that was, the negative part of I'm, this. Yeah, so if it's, it's so the numerator is possessions that ended points. The denominator is possessions that you're the last person to touch it. Gotcha. I mean, it could still. I still don't think it's. I don't think it's Austin. Then I'm gonna go with uh, Isaac Okoro. Samir. Turn it over much. Samir. Crow's got it. Isaac ah. Okoro at 48 percent. He doesn't turn the ball over. Yeah, he yeah. does ever. I mean, He's only, the only time he's quote unquote turning it over is if he's missing shots. Yeah, yeah he, he, he just, threw he threw it out of bounds the other night, uh, and that was about it. That was that's only like turnover. And, he thought, and the other night was it the last game they played was the first game that he actually like got into quote unquote foul trouble. Yeah, like I don't think he's had more than two fouls in a game until then. Yeah, so he's As, he's averaging two fouls a game and one point nine turnovers a game. It's uh, nuts. I'll, I'll take I'll take that as the only freshman that's starting. He's a freshman who's a defensive specialist, and he does not foul. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember one of the, when he got in foul trouble, one of those was a blatant flop. So right. it's like this is I don't know, guys. Yeah. This is we are seeing something really special with this kid, like really special. Yeah. So I had a tiebreaker for you guys. We're not going to need it, but I'm I'm still going to throw the question out there for you. Um. Take a guess as to what our opponent's three-point percentage is right now. And Isaac Okoro is going to play a large point of that. Uh, say that again. So Sorry. What is our opponent's three-point percentage? What are what are Auburn's opponents shooting from threes so far this year? Oh, I'm going to say it's abysmal. Uh, yeah. Auburn is shooting 35%. I'm going to say it's... 11%. No. Yeah. No, I think 11. Robert's shooting in the 20s. The opponent. So all yes. Robert is shooting 35%. Yeah, I think 25. Give me a quarter. 28%. Okay. okay. Still, I mean, they, they faced a couple of really good three-point teams, including Richmond. That's, that's what they did. I think they were like a 45% shooting team going in. And Auburn's defense is just They've been like glue on these guys. They're they're not forcing that many steals, um, but they're just not letting anybody hit shots. It's impressive. 
That is impressive. It's pretty crazy. I yeah, because I I couldn't. It just feels like well, did you give us a number? What are the average number of threes hit against us? Do you have that number? Average number of threes per game? Is that yeah. What you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, give me one second. Why don't you take some guesses as to those numbers, and I'll I'll answer them for you. I'm gonna go with. Hmm. I've got it now. If you want me to just tell you. Eight. Ten. Eight. Yeah, Total? I like eight. I like. Oh, eight. sorry. You said per game, right? Per game. Yeah, per game. Um. Well, so for the whole season, it's 43 of 51 opponents. So 43 divided by seven is they're hitting about six a game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. On 20 or so attempts. Yeah. I love that. Let's keep that going. <laughs> and, and that's what's getting us such good rebound numbers is because they're they're forcing so many bad three-point shots, and they're not hitting them, and you know, the defense is more likely to rebound than the offense is. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in, in essence, a, a bad shot forced is a turnover. Right. So, all right, do we want to look forward to the one game this week? Yeah, Furman. Yeah, right? let's do it. The Paladins. F you. F you. Uh, <laughs> I think we got enough practice saying that this weekend. <laughs> ah. All right, so Furman, uh, they're going to be the toughest team we've faced so far. They've got a very nice Ken Palm, number 69. Awesome. Um, they're 7-1 on the year, although they may have lost tonight. I need to – I'm not sure. I think Will was texting me earlier about that. Um, but their SRS is 35th. So, I mean, they're, they're looking the part, the computer metrics. They're not just – you know, mid-major, that's played nobody. Um, they're beating teams by 20 points a game. Uh, and let's see. Their their main scorer is Jordan Lyons. He's a senior. And what we talked about earlier about, you know, you want your efficient guys to be your lead scorers and have them take the most shots. That's not this guy. <laughs> he's 16 points a game, but he's only 30% from three. I think 58% from two. Um, so he's he's taking all the shots and I'm getting some points, but come on, you didn't use your pun. You gotta you gotta use the pun there. Come on. <laughs> he's getting the lion's share of the there shots. You go. There you go. There Thank it you. is. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Um, these guys have kind of an interesting starting line, just size wise. They've got two guys that are five eleven. And then they've got three guys that are six seven, six seven, and six eight. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I think uh, our guards should be able to have a decent night on defense. Uh, the the other guys are going to be a well, Wiley won't be, but maybe Okoro and Pierre might have their their work cut out for them. Well. Well. I think, you know, this could be another one of those games. You say this every week, I feel like. We could lose this game. Sure. Um, it's a losable game. This is not – we're not playing some terrible team. Um, this is a team that could beat us. But it's going to be games like this that really show us we're, – we're learning more and more about this team every game, which is nice. 
We still yeah. don't know everything about it. Right. We're going to learn more. Well, I, I just – I think that that's what is so fun about this team. I, I was really nervous coming into this year. And I, I don't know if I've talked about it in the pod. I know I've probably said it in the, in the uh, Slack that I didn't know how I was going to connect to this team just based on – who all we lost. Um, you know, I'm a big Samir fan. I always have been. And I, and I knew I'd enjoy seeing that and was hoping we'd see what we're seeing out of Austin. But you know, we, we didn't, we didn't know, but Drew uh, did. Yeah. I, um, but I've connected immediately with this team. There there's, we still got some personalities on this team and, and just, watching them play a different style of basketball than we've seen the last couple of years and, and do it well together and, and not perfectly. Uh, you know, some of these games we've looked pretty out of sorts at times, but we've gotten the job done. The free throw line. Uh, yes. Oof. Yeah. This is uh, for those of you that are just tuning into Auburn basketball. This is not new. Uh, <laughs> Except for last year. They were, they were good last year. No, that's because I mean, Jared Harper was really good last year and the year before. They, yeah. They've been pretty good. Um, Again, Jared Harper. If that's your only experience with Auburn basketball, maybe you think that uh, that this is new, but this is not new. <laughs> um, I, I wish I could say that it was, but it's not. So, uh, but yeah, that just I, I've really, really connected with these guys. We, I mean, we spent. You know, five minutes talking about uh, Alan Flanagan earlier, <laughs> just the, the guy off the bench, uh, and and I'm enjoying it, uh, enjoying seeing what they are capable of, and I uh, looking forward to this upcoming uh, after we get past this little slow period of basketball, just this the rapid fire schedule coming after that. It's going to be another nine days after this Furman game before Oof. we play St. Louis and Birmingham. It's going to be rough. Yeah. So you've got nine days between that game, which is Thursday, and the next basketball game. Right. And, and we've got like, like how over many two weeks until, until between home games. And we don't even know when the next football game is going to be. Most likely January 1. Probably. we got Auburn Sports Desert we're about to walk through, boys. Oh, hang on. It's oh. it's going to be recruiting time. i got to get nerd back on here. Yeah. Like oh, I yeah. said, an Auburn Sports Desert <laughs> we're going to be walking through here, boys. Uh well, uh, we did, uh, but uh, I guess we're at the hour mark. Should yeah, let's. We, uh, we should take should a we break. We should take okay. a break. Yeah, and, we should probably talk about Iron Bubble. Throw up. Yeah, and we'll do a little transitional thing after we come back. Okay, and we're back for that All right. great break. So uh, we're going to talk Iron Bowl, right? Yeah, but we were just talking. I wasn't basketball. there, but you two were. Yeah, well, you know who else was there. Isaac Okoro. Well, he was. That, Who was he we with? Can, we can talk about that. It looked like he was just sitting by himself in a sea of people when they showed him on the on the Jumbotron. He, he looked like he was just there, <laughs> just hanging out. But yeah. like, like he well, just I mean, showed he, up. He's a freshman. Most of his friends probably didn't get tickets to this game. That's true. He, he looked like a guy that was just like, you know what? I'm going to check this football thing out today and just kind of wandered up to the stadium and found a seat. Uh, and it was, it was funny. I'm sure some of those people must've been his friends, but it just didn't, it like just the way it seemed like everyone was kind of sitting a little bit away from him as he's sitting there and he's, <laughs> he's just having a great time. And it was awesome. It was the having best. Having read, having read some stories about 
some one and dones. Uh, like Ben Simmons is one, and then and then Kevin Durant also. I wonder how Auburn is doing Okoro in terms of class, because like those dudes, I think they all because they knew they were one and dones, they didn't attend a class after like February of their freshman year. They didn't right. go to class, they didn't take a test, they didn't do, they didn't do anything. I'm sure he has to be in class now because he's got to be eligible for conference. Right. Dear God, please let him like be Kevin in class. Like Kevin Durant famously said something like he probably went to six weeks of class. <laughs> That's what I do. Texas. Why not? I mean, I mean he's at, at go the very the least, at the very least, he could be taking like basketball, bowling, scuba diving. Like, like right. <laughs> but uh, no, that was cool. But also, Greg Brown was at this game. Oh, yes. The young superstar, Greg Brown from Austin, Texas. Yes. Texas' own. Um, and seemed to have a very good trip. I'm sure that he will never experience another football atmosphere like that. That's for sure. Definitely not at Texas, he won't. Oh, no. God, no. Uh, <laughs> not unless he finds a time machine and right. <laughs> transports him off this planet. Uh, Even anyway. then, I don't. Texas, Texas's home games are never like that. Yeah. Um. So uh, this game we're about to talk about could play a huge part in uh, securing us one of the best big men in the country. Yeah. I the game I wasn't there. You guys were. Yes. I, well, I was. Know. I wasn't at the game. I was on campus. Okay. He was watching know. it with Juju at the tailgate. Oh, nice. That was a great experience. Shout out to Juju. Juju. And my Bama grad father-in-law. Which, oh. Yeah, that, was, that was a fun time. So oh. I watched it fully on the CBS broadcast at a house, my mm-hmm. mom's house, which now the last two Iron Bowls I've watched in my mom's house are this Iron Bowl and the Kick Six. Oh, well, you've got to be at your mother's house for <laughs> every Iron Bowl. I know. And the last Iron Bowl my family all watched together was 17. So we literally, we've only watched three Iron Bowls all together since I've been dating my wife. Mm. And it's 13, 17, and 19. Carl, why are you not? Why, why is this <laughs> well, not happening year, every man. year? Well, there was a bit there where I was living in Germany. So they had to come to Germany to watch what? the 17 well, Iron Bowl with me. Well, oh my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. I didn't anyway, realize that. It was a it was a wild broadcast because, you know, it's CBS, which means it's going to take an extra 30 minutes. There's a million commercials. It's Gary Danielson. It's that weird white balance that CBS uses where nothing looks quite correct. But all I remember, why I, could, I never felt like I knew what was going on. Like even the last play of the game, it wasn't until the post-game show that I had any idea what had happened. Because I don't think Gary... We didn't have the volume up loud enough or something. The room was was too loud. I had no idea what was going on. I just know they got a substitution penalty. Hello? Yeah, we're here. Okay. (laughs) So... I think we're all looking at notes. Yeah, so like for me, this game was confusing. It was exciting. I, I, my father-in-law was texting me the entire time. And finally, he was like, look, this is the most exciting football game I've ever watched. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. This might be one of the most exciting ones I've ever watched, too. Well, it's, that's the best way for the Iron Bowl to be, right? Just dumb and stupid and everything that can go wrong did go wrong. Um, 
but we won. <laughs> we didn't allow we did not allow a team to score more than twenty three points on us all year until we let a team score forty five. <laughs> Uh, that's the wildest part of this game to me is how many points Alabama was able to put up on our defense, and then how many how, that Auburn was able to match it. There's so many wild things about this game. Well, and it really is crazy that Auburn only had three offensive touchdowns. Right. And and some of that is you know we had two fewer drives because two of those were defensive touchdowns. Um, it kind of took away some of our chances for offensive touchdowns. And Anders Carlson had 12 points on his own. Yeah. That was one of the more ironic things is that you know, we've, we've dogged him all season, Chief especially. Uh, I think he's having scat trouble right now. But, yeah, he's, he's not been great. I mean, he was not good last year, but we kind of defended him because we made him kick from long range a lot. And then – He's had a rough go of it this year. And then, you know, he goes and hits 4 of 4 all from, you know, 40-plus. And it, it was kind of interesting that they didn't bring up the, the thing that they always brought up for Daniel, where it was, oh, you know, his his family was Bama fans, and it was kind right. of a, he was a traitor to go to Auburn. Not for Anders. It was just, yeah, he's an Auburn guy. His older brother went to Auburn. Right. I think I don't it know. also I, helps that he's not – he hasn't gotten a lot of pub because he hasn't been yeah. finalist for an O'Brien award or whatever. Well, he was a uh, preseason, like award. second team SEC, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, tonight, I mean, Saturday night, he made four field goals of 40 yeah. yards or more. That's nuts. And if you count the one we took off the board at five and even Gus yeah. after the game was like, yeah, I took points off the board in the air bowl. That's pretty crazy. But I was that, that's a situation you don't see very often, though, right? And they, they seemed really confused on the broadcast about it. But I was like, I, I mean, what was he supposed to do? Decline the penalty? Yes. Most no. NFL coaches would have declined the penalty. Most very conservative college coaches decline the penalty because you don't want to ever take points off the board. And then Gus. But you need it. You need touchdowns there. Right. Riverboat oh, Gus. We all thought touchdown. we were we all thought we were missing that second field goal though after we ran three more plays right yeah i did yeah. only because i for some reason i remember one of the plays being i think bo made a bad pass and i was like oh my gosh we've just wasted this aggressive move by gus to only lead to an opportunity to miss another field goal from 10 yards closer right right it it just felt like yeah it's not like we were you know on the 15 or anything at that point it was it was still a 43-yarder, I think. Right, right. It was still a long field goal. Um, but, hey, he made it. So uh, maybe this is the beginning of uh, Anders uh, really coming into his own here. Sorry I dropped off there, everybody. That's okay. Yeah, it happens. But you're just a really good listener. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that's not uh, true. If you look at the stats in this game, there's no statistic – besides turnovers that really make it look like Auburn should have had any chance winning this game. I think they'll, I think Connolly said it was a S and P like 6%. Had, 6%. Alabama had a 6% or a 94% chance of winning the game after the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. And, and yet, and yet it really didn't feel like we were going to lose. 
because well, it was, was never week. more than a one possession game in either direction, was it? Right, and, it, and we didn't punt a ton. It wasn't like we were like, right. man, our offense can't get anything done. It was like, we'll get the ball back. We can go score. Well, and, and, and a lot of it comes down to the, the last, what was it, five minutes in the second quarter or whatever it was, where there's 38 total points Yeah, in those last five minutes because there was the pick six, the kick return, there was another touchdown. Uh, I mean, it was it was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it, man. We it, neither team felt like they ever got really any momentum in this game, and yet both teams scored uh, over forty points. Well, because at <laughs> right. no point were there any like, oh man, this was a, a nine-minute, fifteen-play drive that's just right. destroyed. I and mean, I, I think Alabama's first drive was like that, and they had to settle for the field goal. And right. and after that, it was just guys were making plays all night. You know, whether yeah. it was uh, McLean's 100-yard interception return or oh, Oaks' 30-yard interception touchdown, uh, or you know all the Auburn receivers, which were held together with band-aids, uh, just all game long making just, just crazy catches. Sometimes they didn't get credit for them. But how many think- points did Waddle score by himself? Waddle had four touchdowns. He had three receiving touchdowns. Three receiving oh, touchdowns and the, the kick return. To the uh, to the two ladies in front of me that were dressed ridiculously, uh, credit, um, they were talking about Waddle like at the beginning of the game, like before he ever scored, uh, as being the guy. And I'm like, really? I'm like, you got Jerry Judy? Like, what? Are you, why? Why are you talking about this guy? Well, and of course, Waddle every ended- time he scored, they went absolutely insane. Yeah. Waddle ended up looking like what we all want Anthony Schwartz to be. Sure. He is just, he is the fastest guy in the field and you cannot come close to him. And I mean, I I don't, I don't know what his, you know, 100 yard times are, his 40 yard times, whatever, but Auburn couldn't run with him. I mean, he was running away from Miggy. He was definitely running away from Tut. Um, But he, he was impressive. There was a lot of poetic irony in this game. Like you had Waddle being the guy who was the 12th guy on the field. And you had Tut get burned by Waddle so many times, but also his punt return set up yeah. a touchdown that basically helped us win this game. Yes, absolutely. That's um, one of the best returns of the year by him. Yeah, we our special teams played better than they have all year in this game, which is funny because you I commented return touchdown. Right, right. I I commented in, in the middle middle of the game that our special teams are as bad as I've ever seen them. And that, you know, they could decide the game and it turns out they did. Uh, Sipos had a excellent punt late in the game. Uh, probably his best punt of the year that landed on like the, the seven or something like that. And, uh, that also helped us a lot. Um, I saw him on somebody's like second team, all sec list. Aaron Sipos. I didn't see any other punters lining up a wide receiver this week. <laughs> That's true. Is that, is that a Heisman moment? Uh, yeah, it's a Heisman moment. Heisman moment, yeah. The idea, that play is such a Gus Mal. It's the most Gus Malzahn way to win a game that there ever has been. And I, like all the bozos who, when Gus lines up in Wildcat on third and two from the 50-yard line who are like, yeah. Oh, here he comes again. High school Gus with the Wildcat. Oh, I bet that's going to work. The fact that he knows enough football 
to go, yeah, we're showing the punter up at receiver and just make them lose their mind. <laughs> Do you think there's anyone else on this earth that Nick Saban hates more than Gus Malzahn? No, he's the anti. He's the anti Saban, which is why we have to keep him. Maybe Lane Kiffin. Hang on. Maybe Lane Kiffin. I don't know. Lane Kiffin helped him win a daggum championship, did he not? That's true. <laughs> and he also ran him off before another one. <laughs> I don't think he hates him though. I just. I no, his relationship with Lane Kiffin is almost exactly like it is with everyone else that he comes in contact with. He just doesn't like them. <laughs> right. The man doesn't like anyone. Maybe is why he probably likes Miss Terry. He likes his players. You can tell he likes his his guys. Does Some he? of his players. Are you kidding? You know, Does he? No, I do because he, he is like one of Barrett the Jones. Who, he was probably a big fan of Barrett Jones. He stands up for the players in terms of um you know name and likeness stuff, but also like in terms of them not getting kicked off of the team for small minor things. He's like, I don't, what are they going to do? I don't, I don't think that has anything to do with liking the players. <laughs> I oh, think I that think has everything. I think that has everything to do with recruiting and uh, that he doesn't, you could, sh- he, they could shoot a man in the middle of Bryant drive. As long as they're playing for him, he doesn't care because he wants to get the job done. I think oh, he just wants the he, he just wants the W. That's it. Yeah, but I do think he cares about his his players while they are playing for Alabama. <laughs> Put it that way. Maybe I I just I don't think it's anything like Gus Malzahn or say Coach O cares about their players. I think it's no. Or totally even Dabo. Different. I think Dabo cares about his players more than Saban cares about his players or ever has cared about anybody in his life. Well, Dabo's just basically a, a Baptist youth minister that's coaching right. a football team. He's, he's running a mega church that has a football team <laughs> yeah. up there. So while we're talking about Saban, we, we will have to admit that this past decade has been – I mean, Alabama's definitely been the best team. but He's them, the best. He's the them best in this decade the is sport. the most dominant team in any decade, right? Yeah. Right. He's the most yeah. – he's the most – he's the best coach in the history of the sport. And Auburn's record in this decade against that great dynasty is four and six. One game yeah. under five hundred. What did I think it was Marcelo tweeted out? I think it was Marcelo that Auburn's responsible for like thirty percent of all of Nick Saban's losses while he was at Alabama. <laughs> Something crazy you know, like that. You no, know, he didn't have a winning record against us at LSU. Right. <laughs> the, the man probably hates Auburn more than most Alabama fans. If I had to guess. <laughs> yeah, and B, we beat him in very weird ways when he was at LSU, too. Yeah, that's true. But it's only at true. home. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> We're, we may never win in Baton Rouge again. Yep. Yep. But yeah, this Iron Bowl was... I, I, I was telling everybody after the game, I, I would love to just beat the crap out of them every single time, but... I think I'd rather win like that, where it just makes them so daggum mad because nothing they could do about when, it. When they're quoting the rule book, you know, yeah, you did yeah, good. yeah, you you know, you worked out right. This is like a <laughs> this is like a, uh, a president of the United States level troll job uh, that we did on these guys. It's uh, good because it. I like it as a breakup. Like I again, like 2017 was amazing. And oh, I think had, had Alabama not made the playoff that year as well, we'd look back on that as one of the right. best Iron Bowls of all time. But there is something to be said for doing something that not only ruins their year, 
Oh yeah. But then, but then makes them so angry because it was just so. I don't know, like just so lucky, but not lucky. Like just right, right. It's so just the minutia of the rule book. During the game, it really felt like all the breaks were not going Auburn's way. Uh, Derek yeah. Brown goes out hurt. Marlon is down for a little bit. Like uh, Anthony Schwartz, Schwartz is hurt the first game. Missed, first play of the missed game. the whole missed the whole game. Yeah. Um. It, it, and it just felt like well, the luck is not on our side. Um, Called Shedrick Jackson out of bounds. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's luck. No, Do we that, know what's going on with Anthony Schwartz? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen a. I've been looking yeah. for it too. I haven't seen a single. We were talking thing. about yeah in the in the group chat earlier today about who might sit out the bowl game. If I'm him, I'm probably sitting at the bowl game because uh, coming up if, this summer. Well, if he's if yeah if he's a little banged up and and he really. I don't know what his ambitions are for the Olympic team. I don't know if he, he can make it or whatever, but I think uh, he has a chance to make it. So I, I, I would be, I would venture to guess that that may be why he missed this game. Um, he got, a, he got a little aggravated of whatever injury because crow, didn't you say that they said on the broadcast that he was on the exercise bike on the sideline? Yeah. yeah they they showed bike. him on the bike. And I think like they, they had said this was an injury that he got during the Sanford game. He's got, uh, he's got a nagging hamstring that he's had since he was in high school. Yeah, so I, I'm guessing that maybe this that had to do with, you know, this kid's got other things ahead of him. Um, and we did win without him. And, and the and fact is... He doesn't is, score that touchdown. He does not score the touchdown that Sean Shiver scores. Right. And, and the fact, <laughs> the fact is, him. we haven't been that that reliant on him in these big games. We've lost games because he didn't touch the ball, uh, right. you, you might say. so. Um, but they were all close. So we knew that maybe we could make it a close game without him. And maybe we, just, we didn't want to risk it. And, there, and, and you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be risking these kids' uh, future prospects. Um, I think maybe Derek Brown and those guys got a little banged up and may have rolled out there in case. It, anyway, um, right. because this this was their last game, their last real game. Yeah, we weren't winning this game without Derek Brown. Right. And no, see, Derek Brown had a, a 3.5 havoc rate. Like right. nobody else was over over two. Yeah. I'm going to miss watching Yeah, Yeah, three and a half tackles for losses and, and nobody else came close to that. I'm gonna miss rooting for that guy. He is uh, six. He had like six tackles, three and a half for loss. It was unbelievable. And he had the pass breakup on the that last third down play. However, everybody's pointing this out on Twitter, and they're right. Had he not touched that ball, it's a pick six. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe. A pick six. Yeah. No, like like Denson is making a beeline for where that ball's gonna land, and the running back wasn't looking when the ball was thrown. Wouldn't like, have been the first was, time. Exactly. It was the same situation where they were throwing it to Harris. And he didn't. He hadn't turned around yet, and the Got defensive back was literally from the snap making a beeline for where it was going to go. And you can tell, like after you watch the replay of the play, after Brown knocks it down, uh, Denson just like grabs his helmet, like his own helmet, is just like, oh man, because he knows he's got how he's got a house call. Yeah, <laughs> like he he's he ends the game at that moment with a pick six. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a definite definite game ender at that point. Um, I know you guys were watching on TV. Uh, I was watching 
live for that uh, Shivers touchdown, and it was in our end zone. And when that helmet popped up, it looked exactly like the ball. Right. And uh, Jeremy and I both thought that the ball oh, just no. popped out. Like we, we both about had a heart attack. And then we realized, oh, no, that was that guy's helmet. And then, of course, went insane again. One of the many times that we went insane in this game. This game was had a lot of ups and downs in it because of the, the nature of the just all-out offense that was going on out there. Well, that, that touchdown is going to be in all the highlight videos, not just next year. Sure. For a while, and and not because it was necessarily the biggest play. I mean, it was a huge play, but that's just a perfect shot. And there's there's one, I think it's of Nick Fairley against LSU, where they always timed it on on the base drop of the highlight video for like four or five years, and and this is going to be that now. I think. Sure. Right. Yeah. You're well, gonna see you can see helps, that guy's helmet flying off. Helps that oh. it's against Alabama, like that. Yeah. You know, ups the. Uh, the stakes a little bit on that sort of thing. Um, how happy, how happy were, uh, was Bo at the end of that game when he knew we won it off, off that penalty. They loved it. <laughs> I, I turned to Jeremy. I was like, they knew that that was going to happen. I, I actually, the entire time I was like, they're going to have 12 men on the field. They're going to have 12 men on the field. And then I started screaming it. And then I was like, Hey, he's still on the field. And then they f- threw the flag and I went crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Gus knew it too. I mean, he, right at in the post game, they were asking him about it. And he, he had like a minute long breakdown of exactly why that was going to work. Guys, why do people think it's illegal to put your punter out at wide receiver? It's unfair. It's not illegal. It's not right. illegal. Why do you think Saban it's unfair? Was, Saban was saying it was unfair because the rule book says that the defenses can be given a fair amount of time to substitute. There's no like standard amount of time. But the they, that's the thing. They sub. did get They did sub. sub. They just right. subbed in the wrong group. He wanted to sub. It was twice. mass confusion. It, it's so funny uh, seeing a Saban team that's so about the process and so about dotting your T's and crossing your eyes, as it were. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Um, you know what? Also, it's funny is that the rule that Alabama fans keep quoting, and that I know other blogs have put on about unfair substitutions meant to confuse or whatever is Mm. what it says in the rule book. The only time that rule has ever been applied is when people do things like make it look like a player is subbing out. Right. He he never leaves the field. Standing at the sideline. Yeah. That's that's the only time that rule has ever been applied. It's not been applied for literally just putting a punter at a weird position. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Have have they tried to invoke that rule when they sub in – a uh, running back and do what well, I forget what's the play called where they hide by the line of scrimmage? Woody, yeah, Woody, yeah. So, when you run that play, is that an unfair substitution because the defense didn't know where he was? Is it unfair when wild when we do wildcat to have the quarterback out at receiver? Right, that that's my whole thing. Like, what and we sub for that, like, that's not even like it's not even like we do that out of our normal formation, and right. we'll sub a guy in and then run Bo out to the to wide receiver. It's uh. That that's so silly, uh, and they're. I'm surprised that they're focusing on that, and not the the one second at the end of the half, which um, was. Also, I don't think they want anything to do with arguing about one second. That's probably true, but I've never <laughs> seen. Was apparently never, a rule was added a couple of years ago that said you have to have three seconds to for that exact same situation. Oh, well, not exactly that. It's three seconds. To clock the ball. Right. Right. Not to snap the ball. 
Right. Just clock it. I think, so I this, think this situation's not in the rule book, and I don't I know think, why people are thinking that it is. I think we will see a uh, change put on the docket by one Nicholas Saban this next year that will probably get passed that will uh, say that you have to keep the same personnel on the field that was on the field w- at the time of review. Yeah, um, and if, if that's the way they want to do it, saying that you can't sub with a running clock in one second, sure. I mean, it's fine, but you got another rules. Yeah. Uh, and I've honestly, seen, I, I didn't want them to kick that ball because it was still, it was what a, I think that was a 44 yarder. It was no, Maybe it was that was 50, 52. It was I'm not a sure. 52 yard field. But there were, yeah. There so were, my thought was, okay, just go let both throw it to the end zone. No, but, no, just kick it. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> you and your favorite kicker, Anders Carlson. Yeah. Well, at the time I was just, I was like, well, just kick it. it <laughs> 52. Uh, because I was afraid that they would say we, you know, the cha- the odds of him hitting that are better greater than the odds of us throwing something up and it going in. Uh, to one Not of with his hands. numbers before this game. Well, I know he was. Like well, I don't forty percent from. He was four out. for eleven. He was four for eleven before I, this game. And he was I'd four s- for four in the game. I'd still say the odds of us scoring a touchdown are in like ten percent. So I think the odds are still better. Yeah. Um, but I've never seen a grown man act the way Nick Saban did after that. I mean, that was some... Is Grayson Allen a grown man? Because that's what I compared him to. Y- y- no, well... <laughs> well Grayson I, Allen was a college student when he was doing that. Yeah, That's true. He was still... He was, his brain was still growing. Uh, Nick Saban has a fully formed brain. Nick Saban's over 60 Saban years old. Saban hasn't grown anything in a long time. Nick Saban's almost 70 years old. Yeah. This is a 70-year-old man. Acting, <laughs> like, man a, acting like a little... Acting like a little kid at Target. That's what I tweeted was that Nick Saban threw the type of tantrum that make other parents at Target nod at you with a quiet resolution. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it's true. Ridiculous the way he acted all about that. Uh, he acted like uh, the drunkest fan in the stadium would have acted if it had gone against, you know, their their team, um, which probably did. Uh, knowing the drunkest fan in the stadium. Anyway, right. uh we're rambling now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah well, we're at I, 90 minutes. We probably ought to you know, start wrapping this thing yeah, up. Yeah, I got to go to sleep, you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm uh, glad you didn't, we, uh, didn't um, uh, spew your guts while right. we're on the air. I'm starting to feel better. We're influence. Absolutely. You guys Stuff. are like a uh, big Fort Payne, rub. Fort Payne ASMR. <laughs> Relax. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm going to close my eyes and just go right to sleep. <laughs> To have dreams of a what, Citrus Bowl versus Minnesota. How about that? I really don't want to play in the Citrus Bowl versus Minnesota. I would re- much, much rather play in the in the Citrus Bowl versus Michigan. Yeah, that'll get more eyeballs. That too. Just not, not Wisconsin. Not Wisconsin. Yeah, I don't want to play Wisconsin again. I want to play somebody we've never played. Well, I think we played like Minnesota. Notre- yeah, Minnesota would be okay then. Notre Dame would be rad just because we've never played them. You know, I, I did see there's maybe a chance we – we could jump Bama and go to the <laughs> the Orange Bowl versus uh, Virginia would be who oh, that would, play in the Orange Bowl. That'd be fun. Uh, I don't Bowl. think Auburn's jumping Alabama. Why wouldn't they? they no, 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 Chief. They should. I don't think they will. The committee, though, has shown a willingness to do things that you would not expect. They, them to they're do. willing to do those things up until when it matters, which is placing stuff for polls. Yeah. When it's week 10, well, sure. Yeah. I don't know that well, – if this were a, for a playoff spot, I would agree. I don't – but I don't know. I, We'll see. 
our resume is way better. Way better. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm going to talk. No, Ryan, you don't think so? No, I, I agree with you. I just oh. don't have faith in the power. Yeah, I know. We would play Memphis in that, though, probably. Yeah. I think Which Crow's is, ready to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got to go. Get out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, fellas, um, it's been real. More damn. Yep. More eagle. Oh, no.